0: To episode thirty-seven of TechZing, hosted by myself, Justin Vincent, and Jason Roberts.
1: Hey, Justin, how's it going? Fine, Jason, how you doing? Like the energy there? You see how I just like came out of the gate hard?
0: That was good. Um, so you just got a phone call from your accountant because you wanted to ask your accountant a question, uh, which yeah. is, should you yes. move to an escort?
1: Yeah. So, as a consultant, as as a you know, uh, you know, as a freelancer, um. You know, you you end up having to pay a lot of uh, I guess what they call Social Security and, um, right. and I guess employment tax, right? It's like fifteen percent, um, which normally gets picked up is if you're working for um, let's say you're making a hundred thousand dollars a year, okay, and you're working for an employer um, for some software company, they're going to pick up that fifteen percent that goes to the government, so that gets taken out of your, you know, the pay that that gets essentially paid by the employer. But if you're self-employed, at least that's my understanding of it, you have to pay that amount. That's
0: one I don't reasons- think so. I mean, I, I think that just, I, I don't think it makes much of a difference. I mean, if someone's advertising a job for 100,000, I think that's including the taxes that you have to pay. You're not going to get that. You're not going to get 100,000 divided by 12 per month.
1: No, well, obviously not. I mean, you get taxes taken out, but there's an additional 15% that you have to pay. Um, and, and the way it is for the first 100,000, you have to pay 15%. And then, um, uh, then after that, it's three percent. You pay three uh, percent. I mean, of, of employment tax.
0: From from the discussion that I I, I overheard there um, through the mic, I th- the, I think that the the gist of it is is that for a hundred thousand, like we, let's just say we are talking about a hundred thousand, it would be what like three thousand saving or something like that. Was that the advice you got?
1: Okay, so here's here's how it works. Okay, so. This is, the, this is sort of like the trick if you, if you want to do an S-corp, right? This is sort of how you can minimize your, your, your tax um, liability. Is if you, let's say, let's say you make $150,000 a year consulting, right. okay? So then on the first $100,000, you are going to pay 15% um, of that to, so maybe 15000 is going to go p- purely for employment tax, right? And then you're going to pay 3% on the, on the next 50000 Okay. Now, if you um, if you set up a, an S corp and you and you pay yourself a salary from the S corp, so you're only employed, then you pay yourself a salary of say two thousand. Well, no, you pay yourself a salary of seventy five thousand dollars a year equivalent. Okay? Oh, okay, right. You couldn't go to the you couldn't go to the government and, and with a straight face and say, well, I pay myself a salary of twenty five thousand, and they're gonna be like, okay, uh, let me get this straight. You're billing an hourly rate of this. That's not acceptable. In fact, it would even be, it's even somewhat questionable that you would pay yourself anything less than what you make since you're the only employee or the only, you know, of this S Corp.
0: Well, that depends because if, if you, um, if your S Corp that you've started, um, as for example, such as myself starting an S Corp related to building something like TweetMiner as a project, essentially that's my business and the consultancy that I, I take on board, I just take on what I, what I can get. I don't think I do the same level of consultancy that you do. So uh, from, from my perspective, it's just not quite the same as that. I, th- I'm, I think that the S Corp is essentially building TweetMiner, and that's the way. And I think that you could think of it in the same way as that when you've finally released your secret project.
1: And, yeah, but you, you just can't, you can't go and say, you know, I have 20 years software development experience. My market rate is $25,000 a year or $50,000 a year. It is, it's just really questionable. The IRS, if you ever get audited, is going to come to you and say that. No, but it depends know. how many
0: hours you do. I mean, if you if you're billing out a hundred dollars an hour and you do two hours a month, then it's that's perfectly right. adjustable. It's perfectly fair. That's
1: that's fine. But if you if if you're doing you know forty hours a week or whatever, if, let's let's just let's keep it simple here, right? Because mm-hmm. you're, you're kind of you're you're sort of conflating multiple things. If all you're doing is consulting, right, right, and you make one hundred fifty thousand dollars a year, then you can't go and tell the government, "I'm going to pay myself twenty-five thousand dollars a year, and I'm going to pay employment tax on the twenty-five thousand, and the rest is just, um, you know, I guess what they call um, short-term non-regular income or something like that, so you don't play, pay employment taxes on it." Um, and they're going to the, the IRS. If they audit, you'd be like, "That's not acceptable, you know, and you owe us for these last three years where you've been doing that for." You know we're going to make you pay employment tax on the entire hundred and fifty, which means you're going to pay fifteen percent on the first hundred and three percent on the on the fifty. Right. Assuming you made one hundred fifty for three years in a row, so the what you could potentially do is is what uh, my accountant suggested is that okay maybe you could say you pay yourself seventy five thousand dollars a year, okay, and then you would pay fifteen percent employment tax on the on um or you would not pay fifteen percent on the remaining twenty five thousand of the first hundred. Right, which uh, and then you would you would uh, not pay um, obviously employment tax on the on the at uh, the three percent rate on the fifty thousand that's above a hundred in income, and so you might save somewhere in the neighborhood of forty five hundred five thousand dollars a year, but then what you have to do is you have to factor in especially in California it's eight hundred dollars a year like the like the fee to pay for the corporation fees and then you got to set payroll. Just a, kind of the time and expense of filing. Out. you get a file separate taxes. You get to pay for accounting to get the taxes taken care of for the um, you, know, you know the uh, S corp. So you might think something in the neighborhood of maybe fifteen hundred dollars a year, two thousand dollars a year in just um, to paying for the payroll services and the uh, and the corporation fees. So you might save yourself three thousand thirty five hundred dollars a year if you're if you're making one hundred fifty thousand dollars a year and you paid yourself didn't escort pay yourself seventy five. So what you have to decide is is it worth the hassle um, and the potential that the IRS go back after three or four years and say, you know what, we're not going to let you get away paying yourself 75. You're, you're going to have to pay yourself you know, 120. Maybe we'll give you off on that, third, on that additional 30, but now you're going to to pay us taxes, plus penalties and interest for those last three years. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, but I think with the IRS... It's always a situation where you have to decide, you know, you, you never know exactly what the auditor is going to consider to be fair and reasonable and not. And, and I, mean, I mean, some things you will, and some things are, it's lower. Can less- you
0: do things like, um, I mean, with an, I know with an S Corp, you can do things like the, 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 the kind of square footage that your office is in the house, you can basically pay that as rent. And um, there's, there's lots of different tax claims that you can make through a company, right? That, that go yeah, as an you- expense. Can you do that without the S Corp?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I do that. I mean, I, I you know, I I my our second bedroom. We live in a two bedroom and a loft, a right. condominium. Um, okay, the kids that live are, are in the loft, all together, and I'm in the second bedroom, which is my office, and it's really only used as my office. Yeah. So we can actually, um, claim that on our taxes. Yeah. Now that's one thing. I I had a conversation yesterday with the accountant, and he was going over all that stuff, and he's like, "Well, what what are the write ups do you have?" He's like, "Travel. Do you have?" conferences you go to. I'm like, no, no. <laughs> yeah, I don't have should. any write-offs. I'd have nothing. I don't go to conferences. I said I I bought a five hundred dollar laptop that I use for work whenever Jesus. I go out of town. And that's it. <laughs> that's like the only write-off I have other than my office space because I don't you know I don't do any of these other things. So anyway, I thought it was interesting the S because I, I went to lunch yesterday with a friend of mine, Mark, the guy uh, the friend of mine who I'm building the iPhone app with. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about because he set up an escorp himself and he's doing the same thing he does consulting as he's like a he used to be sort of like a management consultant I mean, he's done a lot of startups but he was you know i guess professionally was you know did like a uh you know, like a McKinsey type thing we work for a place called mercer and so he's he's been doing consulting like that and um he, you know in order to minimize his tax liability he's set up an escort <clears throat> um so a while ago, one thing that was funny is uh I, one of our um listeners asked uh he says, "You know, it seems like um, what was? He? Oh, he said you guys kind of lost me on the conspiracy and the uh, the nine yeah. eleven, UFO stuff, right?" Right. He's like, "But he said, I'm kind of interested in your uh, finding out what your political um, perspectives are." He's like, "Is it his? His uh, guess was that you were a bleeding heart liberal, and then I was like, sort of a pragmatic libertarian." I think, if that I'm paraphrasing because I'm not looking at the comments. Okay, so
0: explain or... to me what a pragmatic libertarian is.
1: Uh well, I you know. All I can guess is what he's suggesting, um, and I'm not sure. I'll I'll, I'll I'll tell you what it is. Um, they sound very
0: similar, a liberal and a libertarian.
1: No, they're not. Uh, they're they're kind of almost opposites in a lot of the ways because a, a, a liberal a, a liberal perspective is that you want the government to be much larger and provide a lot of services to the citizens. So healthcare, welfare, maybe free education, much more socialistic, right? Um, So you think of liberals as sort of leaning towards socialism, if not socialist.
0: Mm. And
1: libertarian perspective would be minimal government, like every man for himself, you know, free market. The government should be as minimal as possible, only should be there for um, maybe military defense and really rule of law. You know, hmm. um, now there's there's huge gradations in there, right? I mean, there's one which is like the very extreme libertarian would be near anarchy, right? And the very extreme liberal would be communism. Um, so, uh, but liberals, I, I would guess most people they think of uh, of a liberal, in, you know, and sort of the, from the American perspective would be sort of like socialism light, and uh, libertarians would be considered, you know, look uh, just let's we want to get rid of uh, a lot of the income tax we want to get rid of this massive government that's spending tons of money on all of these on defense on all of these government programs because most of these government programs are wasteful and they don't do anything except just suck money away and essentially suck freedom away from the people
0: it's funny i i mean just just to come back for from that like i don't think i think about it in that way but i probably do fall under his his um his the box that he's put me in but i don't think (laughs) about it that way what, what are, well,
1: that's what I said. I said, I said, I don't know. I said, he's from England. I mean, he, maybe he's like a Whig or a Tory.
0: Even that, even from that point of view, I don't really think about politics in those terms. I'm, I'm more of a kind of, if, if you wanted to peg me as, uh, as a politician, and, and this is going to sound very strange, but I would say Gandhi is probably where my politics <laughs> align. Like, for example, I don't really want people to be killed in prison. Like, I don't agree with that. <laughs> like, it's it's
1: who things does? like that. Who, who would say I want people killed in prison? Well, all the well,
0: plenty of people who vote for the government that institutes the death penalty. Those are okay, the people okay. who want you, people okay, to be so killed. You
1: mean, you mean people who you, you don't agree with the death penalty?
0: Okay. Yeah, right. Yeah. So so, for example, you know, the death penalty. That's that's an issue for me. Right. I don't really care what the government is. I just don't want the death penalty.
1: You know. Okay, but that's uh, that's, that's just that's just one tiny issue but but those
0: those are the kind of issues that are important to me issues that relate to people being decent people right those are the issues that that really are important to me so i don't quite know which political party i would fall under if
1: if if, would you say that you would like the government to say take half of your income every month there's no tax minimization or write-offs and we will provide a lot of services like health care and social security when you retire and things like that, okay, whatever, to whatever quality those are there. Or would you say, hey, the government's going to take a minimum amount of your income? In fact, there's no income tax. You can maybe get taxed on sales tax or something, but that's it. And you, know, you can provide your own health care, and you got to pay for education, and you got to save for I've your got, own healthcare. I've got
0: an answer to your question. Which what one I, of
1: those would you be more comfortable with?
0: Right, well, neither, because, what, because both of them are ridiculous. What I would say is, is that the government should take a minimal amount of tax and it should not engage in war, and the amount of money that's spent on war is perfectly adequate to pay for all of the social health care services that we need
1: yeah so i'm I am much more okay i I'm, I'm, that sounds good to me um right i i am a sort of a am uh, an independent i'm not left or right I'm equally disenchanted with both sides. I think both the Democrats and republicans are have proven to be pretty corrupt at this standpoint um Both of them were complicit with, you know, getting us into, um, you know, you know, the wars in the Middle East into rendition and torture and surveilling us through the NSA and all these things that are just complete huge breaches of civil liberties and are just really bad stuff. Right. Both parties are complicit and they're pointing the fingers and and everybody's pointing the finger about, but they're all corrupt. It's just completely just um, it's really disappointing. So, um, I mean, I guess I would say that I don't. I don't uh, agree too much with what either of them are saying or pretend to say. I'm, I'm I mean,
0: thinking- I, so I think the problem is I don't really know enough about politics to fall into either of those camps, right? Right. I just know what I want. Right. Well, <laughs> and as yeah, usual. I, but listen, I, I, it's just like me. It's just like using CakePHP or writing my own framework. I'm going to write my own framework.
1: <laughs> what are you talking about? You like to use frameworks. <laughs> yeah, but I, frameworks that I write. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Well, see, that's the thing. I'm, I've i never been a joiner, right. ever. I've I, I never, like, join things. I'll either start my own, or yeah. I'll start my own soccer team. I won't join someone else's soccer team, you know. I don't, yeah. you know, I didn't join fraternities in college. I'm not a joiner. I like to, and I, I don't really, you know, whenever I've said, okay, I'm with these guys, and then I end up, like, disappointed. So I'm like, you know, what? I'm not with anybody. <laughs> I'll tell you what I think's important. I think, you know, what the values I think are important. You know, but, yeah, I'm against, uh, you know. If, if there's anything that I'm closer to, it would probably be libertarianism, which is just a sense that you know I think that all these mil- aggressive militarism is uh, is really bad, and I think you know getting ourselves into massive debt, whether it's for militarism or massive government spending, is really bad, bad too. Ta- talking
0: about being a, a joiner and and not a not a joiner, I think mm-hmm. I might fall. We may have found something in common because there's been a few things that I've started and then it's actually turned into something, but as soon as it becomes a gathering, I don't want to be a part of it. Right, <laughs>
1: like, I would never join a club that would have me. The, yeah. the, the like, for example,
0: I'm a founder member of the Irish Internet Society, but the only <laughs> the only meeting I ever went to was the founding meeting. Right. <laughs> and the exact same for the PHP London, the London PHP Society. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> so that's kind of funny.
1: And you never went back. Why?
0: I don't know. Just just wasn't really bothered.
1: Hmm.
0: It's, it seemed like a great a great thing in the first place, you know, but then... Once you did it and you realized that there was committees involved and people talking about rules and things.
1: It sounded fun, but then after a while it got really (laughs) frustrating. Yeah. After one um, meeting. I got a couple things to say about that. Um one, you know, uh one thing I'll say is I helped uh I co-founded or co-hosted the the first Bar Camp LA. Yeah. Barcamp LA One. I think we've done like what seven, six or seven at this point. And um but I didn't get involved after that. I showed up in for like one day, for half a day on the on the second one. Part of it is I was just busy, you know, once I had kids and stuff. But if it was something that I thought was really – I was really excited about, then I, I would have made time for it. But um, I got a little disappointed because it just wasn't um, – it wasn't as technical as I wanted it to be. It was kind of what I would call like fluff tech. Right. There's a lot of tech cheerleading. It was a lot of like, hey, yoga for – you know, yoga for geeks or – things done for geeks or you know but nobody out there had run, written their own say ajax library or had written you know it, it done something cool like hey i i developed my own you know key value database that runs on five different you know it runs on mobile apps or on, on mobile phones or something i mean just something technically interesting and challenging have was- you ever
0: been to have you ever been to meet a group of people who do who do do those technically interesting and challenging things that's that, the opposite end of the spectrum is very interesting as well i remember I went to one I can't remember specifically which one it was but there was a bunch of different guys there maybe 10 guys with their laptops showing off the technology that they created and all of it was just real low level stuff like this is my you know this is my API that I've created and showing off the code and then another guy showing how he'd hooked into Zool and Firefox and done lots of interesting things
1: it was like things. it was almost too technical too nerdy <laughs> yeah it was really kind
0: weird. of yeah exactly so it's like this <laughs> you want, Yeah
1: you're... I guess there's, I guess there's, yeah I guess you got the whole spectrum right I mean if yeah. it's too fluff tech if it's too just like Lightweight stuff that nobody's ever really technical. They're more like technical cheerleaders or technical groupies, or you know, they're like, yeah. "Hey, I'm technical because I listen to podcasts or something," you know? right. <laughs> or that. Right? That gets kind of that was kind of that gets get about boring. But right, if it's just if it's too techy, then it probably be boring for the other reason. Now, there w- the one thing I'll say is there wasn't it wasn't that there wasn't stuff like that going on. It's just that it was it was the um the exception and not the rule. The yeah. technical Stuff, and I just got a little um. I don't know. I just, all the work that went into organizing it and doing it all the time it took. And then at the end, I mean, the amount of, um, uh, I don't know, talks that I've really found worth sitting in on, was, wasn't that high. I mean, people there seemed to really enjoy it. You know, I mean, a lot of people was more, I mean, a lot of people there were really into it. So, and I think people had fun. It just wasn't the kind of thing I, that I felt like really, I was really excited about doing.
0: So talking, talking about, um, a technical pitch, I have a secret project that I've been working on for the last year and a half called MASH API, and I would really like to pitch that to 50 TechZing listeners, and I would like to do it over webinar, but so far, only 16 have signed up. So please, <laughs> if you want to listen gonna to my- way,
1: You're to inch our way to 50.
0: <laughs> if you want to listen to my great new business idea, which I'm going to pitch to you just as if you're an investor, and to get your feedback, um, just send an email to podcast at techzinglive.com. Ah, so-
1: so that's you. that's you know you know one thing I wanted I, it just occurred to me that was uh, when we were talking about sort of the corruption governments and stuff like that yeah I one thing I thought was kind of interesting I, I um so I told you how I, I've uh, run my own soccer team for about ten years now yeah and for a while you know we we played in a couple different leagues and and at one point we were playing in two leagues one was weekend league and one we played in weeknights so it was really busy and the weekend league we literally had to drive and play teams all over sort of Southern California. And, um, and there was like 10 or 12 teams in the league. I think there was 12 teams in the league. And you had to have your own home field. And um, it was kind of a, a big commitment from that standpoint. So you had to go and get a field from like, say, a community college or something. and Say, this is right. our home field that we have Saturdays that we can use. And so we would have these managers meetings where we would go to the beginning of the season, May middle of the season to discuss, okay, what are we going to do? When is the season going to start? How are we going to run the schedule? Just kind of get things sorted out, okay? And what was kind of interesting is that no matter how you came up with sort of what the rules are, there was a way to, that some teams were going to game those rules. And what I mean by that is that sometimes what would happen is, that let's say that we would have a game, um, like it would be an hour, hour and a half drive. So I'd have to get 15, 17 guys to take off on a Saturday and, take off and, and drive an hour and a half to the middle of the desert to play some team and, you know, in the high desert in apple valley or something right yeah. so and then occasionally what would happen is you get there and the other team wouldn't even have enough guys to play the game because that team had had it'd be sort of well into the season and they'd already lost so many games that everybody had kind of lost motivation <laughs> right and it was really frustrating right because you'd, you'd get all these guys all right we got a game we got to get everybody out there we're playing this team and everybody drive out there and, and the game would be forfeited or you play a team that only had nine or ten guys, and it was, and you know, beat them five to nothing. It was kind of stupid. And, and
0: so how's that? How's that playing the okay, system? So,
1: okay, so so what we tried to do to solve that is okay. Why don't we break the season into two shorter seasons instead of like one long season that goes from say September through May? We'll play like a half season, like a fall and a spring season, mm-hmm. so that you you you're you're not really out of it until the end, and, and so it's it's less of a it's less of a long drawn out season. Right. And we thought that might be a good solution. And then we have like a champion for the, you know, the fall season. A champion for the uh, for the spring season. you would play like a good championship or something. Can I just well, ask
0: a question? Sorry, just to, just to understand, by the guys who are forfeiting the game, were they cheating? There?
1: No, it was just well, it was just bad form, right? To to deform. I mean, they were because they lost. they it,
0: couldn't be bothered to play it. Is it? Or they, was... could,
1: they weren't going to make the playoffs anyway. They'd already lost. Like maybe they had lost. Like you know. Right, okay. They you know have ten games. They've already lost eight. And you know what happens? You lose a lot of games players start getting really kind of, you know, disengaged.
0: Yeah. You You don't
1: want to be serious about something that you just suck at. Right. (laughs) And it really feels bad getting beaten. (laughs) Usually you start getting mad at the manager. Like we suck because, you know, our goalie isn't good or we don't have enough forwards or they're blaming the manager, the team or the other guys. And so they just don't want to get participate. Whereas if you're winning games, people are really excited to be a part of it. Right. (laughs) And, um, so in order to mitigate that problem, we thought breaking into two seasons now, what ended up happening is the top team was like, you know, well, in that case, we're just not even going to play in the fall season. We'll just play in the spring season because we'll win that anyway. You know, OK, and we're like, well, you know, come on. right? <laughs> I mean, don't I mean, this is our league, right? You, play, you know, we'll just uh, we'll take the fall off. And it was like and we kept coming up trying to come up with oh, but there was always a way to game the rules. Which would kind of ruin. But how it.
0: could they do that? How could they say I'm just going to play one season?
1: nothing says that you necessarily would have to play in both. I mean, that was sort of their threat. They're like, well, we don't want to play in the fall season. If we can play in two seasons, we'll just, we'll, we'll, we'll play in the state cup and national cup tournaments during those seasons so that we, you know, and then we can kind of conserve energy and then we'll just play in the spring. But then that would kind of screw up the league. Well, it, yeah, I mean, it's like any, any it's like
0: any karma based system or points based system that you build in software. I guess, I guess stack overflow is the one that you, that you think about. Like they've, They've dealt with so many of these issues, the gaming issues, right?
1: Yeah, well, it's just like there's always a way to game it. And it's like whenever you set up a system of rules, as human beings, we know we're always able to come up with a way to get around them, to sort of defeat the spirit of it, but but still follow well, the letter.
0: SEO is the perfect example.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, humans are cleverer than algorithms. That's why it's so hard to build algorithms that beat the market in trading. Well... You know, if the X, Y, and Z rules or statistical situations are true, then buy or sell. Well, humans ultimately figure that out and, and are more adaptable and they change. And it's just so hard to beat the market through algorithms. And it's so hard to just, out, you just outsmarting humans are tough. And so, so what happens is anytime you set up a, a system of rules and checks and balances, whether it's a government or a soccer league or a, uh, you know, something like Stack Overflow, humans can game it. And ruin it. Enough of them can ruin it. So it takes other humans to continually combat the ones that are trying to game it. And I think what's happens when you I mean, going back to the whole thing about politics and government, is just that you know you can set up this great thing of like uh, you know this um, you know you have a legislative and executive and judicial, and you do all these things to try and keep the power separate, the separation of powers. But in the end, there there are certain groups who will and figure out how to game the system.
0: And the, the, this yeah. section of texting is called the moral of the story is
1: <laughs> the moral of the story is <laughs> everything can be gamed. Everything can be gamed. Good. Oh, you know I found something um PhoneGap. I found there's another sort of JavaScript framework for, for creating mobile apps. Okay. Called PhoneGap. I think it only works on iPhone. I'm not sure about that. Let me check. But it was like, you know, we were talking about um, titanium and an accelerator and, um, how, how basically awesome it was. And, um, you know, actually I think it does. now it works on Android and Palm and Symbian and BlackBerry. So PhoneGap is yet another one. It's open source. Okay.
0: That, that does bring something for me to talk about. Um, after the, after the, that, that tight titanium accelerator um, discussion, I mm-hmm. basically, um, put tweet Miner into the app accelerator app, ran it, I ran it and it, the HTML rendered just as badly in in air and and accelerator, and I've kind of sent some screenshots to Jeff, and what, what he explained to me is that WebKit itself and doesn't render very well white text basically light text on a dark background there's an issue on windows right. just windows so right. he, and he's saying it's something that they're aware of, and um, that they, they have another large client who who it's an issue for and who they, they, so they may actually end up changing webkit itself to render that differently on just on windows which would be kind of cool if they did i would use it then because that's what stops me from using it as a desktop app
1: so because you have dark background and light text
0: yeah well yeah i have dark background and light text and so basically white text turns to yellow and then bleeds and it's it's just some issue specifically within windows where the the pixel rendering doesn't work you know that that kind of anti-alias Yes, right. Yeah, that doesn't well, work. Why
1: don't, you, uh, why don't you just make a light background and dark text?
0: Because that's not what the look and feel of Tweetminer is. Well, change the look and feel. But then Tweetminer doesn't look like the pro app that it's supposed to look.
1: <laughs> the only way is to get a black background?
0: Well, yeah, that would be, like be like saying, take aperture, you know, Apple aperture, right? And don't have a dark background, have a white background, and just completely change the branding and the look and feel of your product.
1: Well, I guess it just depends on how important it is to have uh, a desktop app versus not
0: yeah, I think that I'm just going to not worry about it until the rendering issues are sorted
1: right so um, I want to hear about your whole p r effort
0: um, yeah, so we we I, I hired some some people from Elance to work on the p r stuff, and we did get one p r piece out that went onto the to entrepreneur onto the entrepreneur blog, and apparently they have um you know 60 to 80,000 people viewing that blog a day but that actually resulted into zero traffic coming to TweetMiner. right which is kind of interesting because it was a really good article it spoke about twitter you know the tw- the whole twitter suspension thing about how the customers stood behind tweet minor and it's it explained what TweetMiner was it had about five or even seven links to tweet minor on the page um, yeah so, i read the
1: article it was a well-written article
0: it was well written so i'm um, I'm just wondering, it was well written and it was all about TweetMiner and it linked to TweetMiner multiple times, but it drew, it created zero traffic right. and it was the exact perfect market of entrepreneurs who want to promote
1: themselves. <laughs> so, right. so I don't know if that doesn't work, what the hell will, <laughs> it seems to me that, well, it seems to me that the whole, um, marketing effort and building traction is it just, you just have to try a ton of stuff and be persistent. I mean, when we talked to um, uh, Isaac and Arnoff, I mean, that's essentially what they said. I mean, Isaac said that he had... Well, one thing that really helped jump them up was when he got a few, uh, few articles accepted as Slashdot, right. he sort of took on Google, took Google to task on some issues. Um, I think it was on the subject of email or something. But he said... He, I, I think Something he said, I think, after we stopped recording was that he'd actually sent about 20 to 25 of these articles to Slashdot before the three... Well, he also stuff. said
0: that... He, he didn't really say whether those drove, you know, traffic and sales. Like he just said that they got something up there.
1: Yeah. It just, what it does, it just, it just, it just, um, up their, their traffic levels. I think that the whole
0: PR thing, I think that I may have been thinking of it differently to what it really is. Like my, my thoughts about it was, okay, you'd get, you know, some good placement articles and then that's instantly going to start driving traffic your way. But I think that I guess PR is just generally brand building and people keep keep on running into you on various different locations and then they'll kind of gradually go, okay, I need to check this out.
1: Exactly. That's that's exactly what I was gonna say. I think yeah, you have to think about less well, yeah, they're gonna click. It's just but so if you just do like one hit like that, one PR hit, it's just not enough. You have to be continuously doing the brand building so that right, if people are being hit with it. Well and that's build. expensive.
0: I mean that's and that's what I was gonna say that they said they spent like a couple of grand a month on PR, right? Mm-hmm. So that' You know, Tweet doesn't earn a grand a
1: month. Well, that's what they said they didn't spend that at first either. Yeah. So I mean, they, they waited till they had more money before they started spending it on that. And I think um, you have to do take a more guerrilla approach, which is that you have to go and find the blogs and the websites that people in social media hang out and 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 uh, and just be part of those discussions, just like what uh, Bam said about yeah. what he did. Go find where they hang out and become part of the discussions.
0: I think the thing I'll tell you the thing that I'm feeling the most frustrated about TweetMiner is the price points. I think that they're the right price points, but I'm frustrated that I'm working with a product with those price points. I would much prefer to be taking the the, the, the route the central desktop took where their lowest price point was twenty five dollars moving up to a hundred dollars mm-hmm. I would just I can't tell you how much I would prefer that.
1: Yeah, I think theirs is more than that. It's more like $500, right? Mm-hmm. $250 or $500 yeah. something with their top end. So, because I don't... I can't,
0: I can't really justify bringing the price points up, but they're just so difficult to make money from because you need volume. Right. Right.
1: So what are you going to do? Uh,
0: make MASH API.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so you give up after, what, three weeks? <laughs>
0: I'm just saying. I just think MASH much has much more potential. Like it's, it has much more potential upside for the people who use it and for me and for anyone who gets involved with it. Like yeah, basically,
1: I, I, don't, I don't see. I don't, I'm not, I don't understand the business model. But I just well, don't it see. It brings an efficiency
0: to them. Okay, look. At the moment, it, how long does it take to build a website? It takes, even if you're using Ruby on Rails, it takes um, a significant amount of time, three months. MASH API is going to bring that time down to about two to three weeks. So it brings an efficiency into the marketplace that's never existed before, which is pretty huge. It's like a really big deal.
1: Yeah, but the problem is, the thing, the thing that, that, that gives me the most pause for concern about don't it...
0: Don't get too much into the product, though. Just, I won't. Yeah. It's
1: just that you're, you're selling to developers. And I think um, developers... I, I don't think you are selling to developers. I
0: think that developers, for, for a product like MASH API, developers are a channel and they're the channel to the property owners. Hmm. So I don't, I'm don't. i not sure that you are selling to it. I think you're educating developers on something that they can use for free, and ultimately it's the people who own the properties and the websites who are going to be paying the money.
1: Right. But the developers themselves are, um, well, look, I probably shouldn't talk about this because you want to give a talk on it first, right? So I think in all fairness to you, you should be able to present it. Um, to sort of a neutral audience, and then yeah. you know, we can have discussions about about this later. But um, yeah, so are you really thinking about giving up on TweetMeyer?
0: I'm not thinking about giving up, but Mash API is kind of invading my brain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't know. It's 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 difficult to decide. You know, what like the outcome could be so different if you choose different paths. The problem that's the, the thing that really gets me is someone's going to twig on to what what I've twigged onto with Mash API. And they're gonna do it and it's gonna be someone with resources and it's gonna be big. And it's just gonna frustrate the hell out of me that I've been working on this thing for so long. And someone else is gonna run with that because it's the it's the logical evolution of web development.
1: Right. Right. Hmm. Well, I don't know. I mean there's the there's there's a million ideas out there and I don't sometimes I, I you know, I don't know. I don't know. I mean you, there's ideas that you're not pursuing, or ideas that you're pursuing. There's a million different possibilities. I don't think you should uh, worry about that. I think you should probably just do whatever. I mean, I guess just do whatever you want to do. You know, if you don't want to do TweetMire, then don't do it. Do Mash API. Um, but you just, you know, you understand that you probably are going to be losing short-term money for. You're you're basically taking the money that you have and you're going to be rolling the dice again.
0: Uh, I'm not saying I'm going to flip, a, flip over to MASH API. I'm just saying that I'm struggling with it, that's all. <laughs> well, I, if,
1: yeah, you could, I guess you could work on you know, both.
0: Yeah, it's a possibility.
1: I mean, do some, do, you know, spend you know, two hours a day on TweetMiner, two hours a day on MASH API, and the rest of the day... I'm well, the other thing, thing
0: is MASH API could be just uh, open source and then um, kind of make money in the way that um, the the, central de- the Accelerator guys are making money. No, go, go like a Red Hat type of model.
1: Yeah, I, I guess that works. I would hate. To, I would hate them. And my income depends on support. Support just sucks. Right. You must must be in the business of support, customer support. Well,
0: it's not. There's not. It's not just support. You can also charge for warranties. Like so. For example, open source software comes without any kind of warranty. Mm-hmm. Right. But uh, MySQL will sell you a warranty. So if you if you want to buy a MySQL license with a warranty, you're going to pay big bucks. Right. You know? And um, it's kind of it's it's not dissimilar to Oracle prices. I mean, maybe maybe it is. I, I just, I've just said that, <laughs> but I know that it's it's a decent wedge of money anyway.
1: Right. I can't imagine it's as expensive as Oracle. No, no, probably not. Probably an order of magnitude less, but it's still a lot more than free.
0: Yeah, it's going to be like oh, it's going to be way more than a thousand dollars, for example. Right. To get to get warranted software. Right. So you know that's that's another kind of approach. So. I think there's a, there's a bunch of different ways that you can make money from open source software. I mean, MySQL do pretty well. Right. And sold to Oracle for a, a billion, I think.
1: Is that right? Yeah, he said it's, it's a billion. You sound depressed. No, I was just looking for topics. And, you know, because you called me before I had a chance to get my topics together. Oh, so,
0: sorry. Oh, just make them, know, up, make them up as you go
1: along. Yeah, I just can just invent <laughs> something out of there. Usually what I do is I make a list beforehand of things that I think are worth talking about, but, um, you kind of caught me off guard. So I liked I just,
0: the, I liked the one thing that went around how can use the four types of emails programmers
1: receive. Did you see that? I, I thought I didn't read it. What was the, what was it about? It's just like
0: people sending you emails that are <laughs> like, okay, the, the, there's the vague email, right? There's the um, email where they just kind of screaming at you. Mm-hmm. And, um, so there's the vague email, which is like, feature XYZ isn't working, please fix. Right. You know, which is impossible to deal with. There's the end of the world email. Urgent system down. None of our users can do it. Please advise. My
1: computer blew up. Yeah. <laughs> there's, the red,
0: there's the red herring email. Can you check if XYZ is working, please? <laughs> right. <laughs> which is like completely uh, bad. And then the ideal one, which is when I do this, ABC happens and I expect EF to happen. Here's some screenshots. Do you, do you, I mean, do you get much, uh, support emails? Um, yeah,
1: yeah, I do. Um, you know, especially for my consulting projects, you know, they'll, I'll be getting feedback on, you know, this, this or that doesn't work. And usually they're pretty specific consulting projects, you know, are usually pretty specific because whoever it is that wants you to build this thing for them, they're very, usually very specific about what's not working. Right. Um, you know, for Prizo, occasionally you'd get weird emails, but more more often it was questions like, right. "How do I do X?" Um, and uh, <laughs> there were a couple of things that were legitimately like not working because they uh, like one thing was importing and exporting PowerPoint right. that depended on an external server that was like a Windows server that would do the import export, but I could no longer afford to have two boxes anymore. Right. And I forgot to disable the menu items of people were trying to <laughs> import to PowerPoint. They're like, Yeah, nothing's happening. <laughs> I was like, Oh crap, I forgot. But, they, disable-
0: but I mean that would be something that people should pay for, right? Can you, you can't, are you sure you can't get people to pay for Prezo?
1: I'm not sure about anything, but uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> my you know, like my wife would talk about that all the time and uh, she's like, Well why don't you just start charging or why don't you start doing this? And it's, I, I guess at one point it just was like, Well Every hour that I spend on Prezo is a lost $100 that I could be consulting, right? I have more hours of consulting work than I have. I have as many hours of consulting as I want to do, right? And any that I have a free hour that I want to just sit down and write code, I have to weigh that against billing clients. But if you've got
0: 20 people paying 10 bucks a month, that's worth your, you know two hours of making Prezo so that people can pay.
1: Yeah, but... The question is, like, how many hours is it going to take to get some of the stuff implemented and get some of the stuff up? I mean, a lot of hours. And the question is, at what point, we, you know, it's just like, I'm not sure that, I'm not as convinced that there's a business model, and I'm not convinced it's something that I want to spend more years of my life on. You know, you know?
0: something? I wonder if Tweet, if tweet Miner and Prezo are kind of similar in that way.
1: Well, yeah, you know, you you work on something... Um, because you you think oh you you think is you you are thinking opportunistically right. right? If I solve this problem, um, there will be a potential good business here. And my my perspective on Prisa when I did it started in what 2005 was that the web office was going to be something that was going to be uh, over the next horizon, and that Google and Yahoo and Microsoft and who knows who else would get into a bidding war for any startups that had solved that problem. Well, it kind of happened and it kind of didn't. Um, but I wasn't doing Prezo because, you know, wow, this is something I really think is cool and I really want to spend years working on. It was a cool problem, but I didn't really care about the problem domain of of presentations at all. I never created a presentation in my life or maybe one. So TweetMiner was the same thing for you, right? Mm. It was more, you were thinking more opportunistically, like, God, this is a problem I really am excited about and I could spend years working on. And that's one <laughs> and that's one problem that's one problem with the whole minimum viable product, which is that, you know, you, you have no idea what problem needs wants to be solved, but you're just gonna throw something out there and you'll let a bunch of people tell you what should be solved, then you'll start solving it. But if it's something like, hey, okay, I found a product market fit, but I don't give a damn about this product or this segment of the market, it gets hard to stay motivated for years because it takes years to build a business. Yeah, that's it takes it takes
0: years to build any business.
1: Yeah, so that's why it gets really Frustrating when you do it that way, as opposed to scratch your own itch. You're like, okay, you know, this is something I really think is cool. I'm not going to worry about micro product market fit. I'm just going to build something that's my own and Scratch my own itch. I think is really cool that I know I could spend five years on. No pro You know, then you don't have run to that thing like every three weeks. You're like, God, I have to keep working on this stupid thing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I guess it really depends on your priorities. Is you know is. Uh, because I, I guess, and everyone's different, you know, some people have a much better ability to stay focused on something, regardless of whether they're super excited about it, and other people probably not so much.
0: What impresses me is these people who make money through PPC arbitrage, because the whole, the whole thing is, you know, endless amounts of testing, trials and errors, and setting up different PPC campaigns, and looking at the statistics of different What's landing pages. PPC? Oh, pay-per-click. Okay. Right, so there's there's people who make you know hundreds of thousands um per month off this type of thing, but but the way that they do it is they there's just so much interest. It's it's almost like being an accountant or something, right? Mm-hmm. It's just the kind of thing that I just couldn't get my head around. You know, there's no passion involved really. Right. It's just test and see. Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, so I I don't know. I mean, I guess it's it's like for me working on my secret project, which is something, the problem I wanted to solve. And, you know, I didn't go out there and and ask and do a big survey and ask a bunch of people if that's what they really wanted because, you know, I feel like, hey, this is something that I want to exist. I want to solve this problem. If people don't use it, then I can live with that. But at least I'm gonna make an effort in solving a problem that I think would be, would be cool to solve.
0: I mean, the people that I know who have, are just really rich, right, they don't care about how they make money. <laughs> they will just do whatever. Like, I'm just thinking of certain members of my family. Like, they, you know, they'll, they'll do import-export stuff. They'll buy houses. They'll sell cars. They'll just do whatever it takes, you know. And it's just really the game of making money. It's like Monopoly.
1: Yeah, well, I think as software developers, we're kind of in this world where, you know, especially this space of, like, the startup software world, where we want to have both. We want to build cool stuff. We're more yeah. interested in building cool stuff, learning interesting new technologies, experimenting, see what's possible, build the future, all that kind of stuff. So we're sort of half, we have one leg in that world, and, or one foot in that world, and we have one foot in this, like, you know, I'd like to actually make money and not necessarily have to work for somebody else and, and uh, have more freedom so I can work on whatever I want to work on. You know, I mean, some people want to become incredibly wealthy, but some people are just like, i just like to have financial freedom and have some security. You know, I mean, it just kind of sucks having to always work for somebody else and, you know, never being able to not having a huge, much of a safety net. I mean, that's not, that's not a fun way to live.
0: What do you think that uh, Steve Jobs motivation is?
1: Well, I think your motivations change, you know, I mean, I think, um, and and it probably evolve as you get older and, and, and your level of success. I mean, at this point, you know, it's not about money. It's not about, it's more about world impact probably for him. How much can I impact the world? How much can I change the world or how much can I design the future? I would guess make things the way I want them to be. But you know, if, if when he was, um, you know, 19 or 20 or however old they were when they started Apple was much more like, you know, Hey, can we build this cool computer company? Yeah. Just evolves. And, you know, if, if you're like at a smaller level, like you remember when he, we needed next computer and like when he, when he started next computer after, after I guess Scully kind of kicked him out of Apple I think he was more like, I'm going to prove myself that I, that I didn't get lucky with Apple, that I have the chops to create something else from scratch and make a big thing of it. And then when the, the hardware side of it failed and he just focused on the software side, you know, might have been like more, okay, now I, I, my real goal is to make this thing financially viable. You know, I think you've, it probably evolves over time and depending on your situation.
0: You know. I've, I've got something to talk about. Okay. Um, I posted a blog post called The Wheel of Social Karma. I don't know if you saw that on TweetMiner. On no. Tweet Minor blog. And it was just um it came from someone sending me a tweet which ended with Bleep You and Everyone You've Ever Met, bitch. <laughs> they sent me that tweet, right? Okay. And it just kind of made me think about us as as businessmen with web presences, you know, how how essentially we're putting ourselves out there and opening ourselves up to these kind of attacks and Ultimately, you could be the nicest person in the world. You could be as nice as you wanted. You could open yourself up as much as you wanted and basically just always be genuine and decent and good with customers. But there's nothing that you can do that's going to stop people from disliking you and from, from slandering you and from basically abu- You know, throwing flames and abuse your way. Right. It's, it's just like a – I was just really ruminating on the fact that it's a strange feeling, that it's just something you have to sit with and accept, you mm-hmm. know?
1: do you anything thoughts about that well you know it kind of reminds me I, I i read something about i think joel spolsky talked a little bit about that in this week or two when he wrote an article uh, about how he's going to stop blogging
0: oh yeah right
1: and he he talked about that how you know you you get attacked by people and um, you know it's just like you could have 95 98% of your of the comments back to you emails and comments could be really positive but there's that one or two that are really negative and it's just like those just, you know, you can't help it, but they keep, they just bother you.
0: But you it know? happens in real life. I mean, I mean, if you think about it, it's not just social karma. It's like, it's the real world karma. And it's just kind of mirrored on the web. Right. But it, it, I mean, it's impossible to go through life and not create enemies and not ruffle a few feathers. You know what I'm saying?
1: You want, know, if you try and do that, if you try and, Um, accommodate everybody to a degree, there are going to be people who are just going to take extreme advantage of of that approach. And There's always going to be that small percentage of people who are really going to screw you over. Yeah. They're going to continue to push and push and you're going to try to accommodate and accommodate. And I've done that a few times where I've been trying to be a nice guy and you realize too late that, oh, you know, crap, I've been, I keep getting accommodating and now I'm kind of screwed because of it.
0: Yeah, but what I'm saying is even the very aspect of you being over-accommodating is going to irritate people and make them annoyed with you.
1: Yeah, well, you can't please everybody. That's the <laughs> bottom line, right? You yeah. just you can't please everybody. And I think the you just have to do your best to act in a way that you can live with yourself. And then you sleep at night and say, hey, you know, I, I've been as fair, as honest, and as, as sort of polite as I can be, or respectful as I can be. And if there's some people who there's still not enough for them, it's like, well, you have to somehow just learn to deal with it or just live with the fact that you're not going to.
0: Okay, I'm taking it a step further, and I'm saying it's almost something you have to embrace because
1: like,
0: like because yeah, literally, because otherwise it's just negative energy that's going to stop you. It's going to weigh you down in one way or another. You just have to accept that that is actually part of life to, to have that negativeness coming your way and just let it go and then just move forward.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm I think that's probably right. I mean, um, you're going to have challenges in life and I can remember, was it, I don't know, it wasn't Sartre or Heidegger, it the hell is other people. <laughs> you know, I, I care, I may have the wrong, I may have the wrong uh, attribution there, but um, yeah, you know, I think in the one sense, people are what makes life worth living, right? You could just sit in a room by yourself, you'd have, you know, people who are in solitary confinement even for days start going nuts, it's, it's miserable being yeah. by yourself in, a, in an extreme way, and I think it's, it's people that really make life great. And all the wonderful relationships and friendships and times that you spend, experiences you have with people. But there's always, but it's worth it. Because everyone, even if every once in a while you have that one or two people that you run into that just make your life miserable for a short period of time. And I think one of the things that people have to learn, hopefully early in life, is how to deal with people like that. You know, and I think people who have, who, have, who experience a lot of frustration in life is, is rather than saying, okay, here's this person that is in my life. And instead of minimizing my contact with them, (laughs) I'm going to try and change them. I'm going to try and deal with them. Well,
0: that's never going to happen, is it?
1: Yeah. I mean, eventually you just say, look, you know, this person, I mean, every once in a while, it's not that the person is problematic. It's just that the communication isn't there. But if you give a couple, a good faith effort to saying, trying to come to an understanding or trying to work with them, you realize, okay, this person, it's not that we misunderstand each other or that I'm not you know, communicating something correctly. It's that they're just a real difficult, you know, dysfunctional person. So the best thing you do is just get away from them because there's a lot of great people in this world. So don't waste your time on the people who are going to make your life miserable.
0: Now, the thing, the thing about this is you probably, because you, you don't really play in the social space. You don't, you know, you don't use Facebook every day. You don't use Twitter every day. Uh, But I mean, I'm sure you, you blog and you comment, you, you comment on blogs every now and again. But I guess the one thing I also want to add is that the very fact that it's the internet, it's faceless and it's it's almost nameless. And mm-hmm. for that reason, it kind of amplifies people's capability of being a dick, right? Right. <laughs> so that's another thing about about the social web and the kind of this concept of the wheel of social karma. It's just right. much easier for things to get out of hand and escalated. But anyway, right. I just thought I'd bring that up.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, it, 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 are a couple of things that I think are worth saying. I mean, obviously, nothing that you're saying isn't something that people talk about a million times, and they get frustrated because people set up these forums, you know, on the web or the old time was BBSs, and they and they set up a community, and then and then some people start entering the community and start polluting it with negativity and trolls, you know, trolls, right? And um, it's just it just happens. Whenever a community gets beyond a certain size, that just seems inevitable, and then the people who set it up starts getting becoming very disin disenchanted with the whole thing because like you said, it's like, you know, it could be 95% positive, but then the just one or two people or a small number of people can just ruin it. And you're just like, you know, I, I, I just can't stand this. This is a nightmare. It's, and, uh, there was a guy, Oh, I saw an interview. Um, I, I listened to an interview with, a, uh, with, uh, the guy who did Metafilter, who right. created Metafilter, and which is, which is one of these communities. And he was talking about the exact same thing. It's like how it was so, there was so much great about it, but it was just like, Every once in a while, there'd just be this small number of people who were who were acted terribly, and one person, you know, one or two people were actually threatening him, you know, and people were emailing this guy and say, "Hey, this guy's crazy. I'd be careful." And he's just like, "Man, what am I doing? You know, my my yeah. life is in danger. I'm in yeah. physical danger because of this." He's like, "You know, I'm not. Am I getting rich because of this? I mean, this is this is even worth doing? This is like this is a nightmare. It's like, why would he even want to be famous? Why would he want to be well known?" and deal Well, with this?
0: I had that with the Virtual Irish Pub, you know, which was a, like a chat site. And and like at least once a month in its in its heyday, I would have like an email saying, you have to give me the name and address of such and such a person. Otherwise, I'm going to take you to court and I'm going to sue you for everything you're worth because that person has been harassing me and I need to get a restraining order against them. Right. (laughs) And it's like, well, I just always sent back, look, this is absolutely nothing to do with me.
1: Right. But uh, one thing I will say, one thing I just want to say is that so you, you, it's, it's easy to understand why people like um, uh, Joel Spolsky would essentially, offend, at the end of it, just bail out. And be like, you know, i have had enough. <laughs> you know, you write an article or blog post and you get all this hate and all these people are attacking you. And it's just, it just got to be really get annoying after a while. Um, well, it doesn't seem to bother Jason Calacanis. Well, you know, some people, some people are, uh, are they don't mind controversy. They don't mind fighting yeah. they don't find it as much i mean it's just like attorneys some attorneys i i was talking to an attorney the other day right. who um was representing our homeowners association um right. we've been in a lawsuit against our uh, the developers who screwed up our roof like 6 years ago yeah. for our condominium association yeah and um so we're we're in a mediation we've been in this lawsuit for like 6 years and we're at a mediation meeting we're just sitting in this room waiting for the mediator to come back and so we're just kind of sh- you know shooting it with the um the attorney and i said so i said is all this is fighting all the time, just you know, being this con- continually being in a contentious sort of a series of contentious relationships, with these other attorneys, is that really is that draining or stressful? He's like, yeah, <laughs> it really is. <laughs> He's like, I try and leave it at uh, I try and leave it at the office. He's not like, been doing this so many years. He's like, but yeah, you know, it is draining. It is it is stressful. It's not fun. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of these these, some of these people who are attorneys are essentially um, professional fighters in a way, right? They're fighting for you, not physically, but they're fighting legally. They're, you know, fighting with words and letters and emails and and that's just such a hellish way to live. But, you know, some people are just better at it. They like to negotiate, right? They like to go in and negotiate price and fight about it. And um, I think um, Kyle Canis is like more like that than a lot of people. Yeah. But even he says it sometimes that he gets followed around on the internet by these people who just hate him. Yeah of things he said I think his biggest set of problems were like you know he I guess he had said some things about Kevin Rose at one point or dig or you know they had a little bit of an issue at one point because I think Calicanus was sort of ripped off the dig concept for Netscape, you know, Netscape. yeah. and uh, even though after a while he and Kevin kind of patch things up and are friends again I guess there's still a lot of these you know dig people who just hate him and even he gets he's like it's old
0: Okay, I think we've, we've done enough on this.
1: So, you know, our get-to-know-a-listener? Oh, yeah. Okay, so we have our first um, Bopinder Abu Marpalinder Singh. Is that how you pronounce? <laughs> oh, Bopinder Abu Marpalinder Singh. So, Bopinder said that he'd be game for uh, our, our first get-to-know-a-listener segment. Right. And so I emailed him. He wasn't really interested in coming online. He wasn't real comfortable. He didn't think he'd be a good guest or uh, whatever, so he... He declined, so I emailed him a uh, a bunch of questions, and he just you know answered them, and it was kind of interesting. So the very first thing, the thing that's most interesting, is that's not even his real name. It isn't. And not only is that his real name, he's not even Indian. He's a white dude from the, from uh, the Pacific Northwest. <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah. That's just weird. He's like a he's like a spy. He's like a you know secret agent.
0: So like we really at that really we are getting to know a listener and the lies that they tell us.
1: That's right. Well <laughs> he said he said um at the top of this email, he says, I'm lying about some things to maintain my relative anonymity. This okay. will allow me to be more honest. All right. So um I'm gonna jump around his answers because we yeah. we went through a bunch of I actually had some follow-up questions and um so Bo Pender is not even his real name. Bo Pender's a white guy from North, the Pacific Northwest, and he, um, I asked him for a little questions. I asked a follow up questions I'm like, "So who, what's with the name?" You know, right. yeah. And he said, "I said, uh, I think one of my questions was before I even before in the initial set of questions was, well, you know, what kind of a name is Bo Pender, <laughs> and uh, you know, where are you, you know, what's the ethnicity? Where are you from? If you're not from the U.S., and he says, oh, he says." you know, it's just a pseudonym. He's like, I'm a white guy who loves Punjabi culture. Okay. And I'm like, that's kind of a strange thing. I, I'm, I, you know, I was like, I, my follow-up question was like, well, he's like, is your wife Punjabi? Or did you go on, did you spend some time there in India? Maybe your father was stationed, you know, or was, you know, uh, work had worked there or something. I mean, that's just sort of a random culture to pick out of nowhere. Um and I guess, as it turns out, he had a good friend who was Punjabi, and he thought that they had a great family and was really had a lot of respect for okay sure, and stuff, so he picked the he sort of picked the name because of that I thought that was kind of interesting uh, maybe he
0: got the name from like their four children and just combined it into one
1: yeah, I don't know, maybe just pick the longest name he could think of, so anyway, so he um <laughs> His story is one of the reasons that he was interesting is that I think in a comment he talked about how he um, had started a side project and it was making him about thirty grand a year. Yeah, he said I soft
0: launched last year and I've made thirty k in twelve months.
1: Yeah, yeah. So um, I guess he's a consultant. He says he makes about one hundred fifty dollars an hour, so he makes pretty pretty high rate, which gives him the flexibility of you know not working every hour of the day. Uh can you pause that? Yeah, sure. You <laughs> are right back. Sorry.
0: <laughs> so we we had just said that um he's made since soft launch I've made tw- uh 30k in 12 months and then yeah. you said he was on 150 an hour. Yeah, so
1: he's, yeah so he he's consulting, you know, making about 150 an hour. I guess he has uh, some type of a specialized uh, skill that allows him to um you know not have to necessarily bill a lot of hours and make yeah. a living. And since he does well is that he, he and his family actually live on a third of his income, so he's able to save the rest, which is really smart. And it also gives him enough time to work on a side project. And he said, when he launched the side project, he was really thinking that it might make him three, three, four, five thousand $5,000 in the first year that he was just trying to use it as a learning experience to figure out how to, how to sell software, you know, right. how do you start a business? And he, I think he said he was sort of surprised that it actually took off. And in the beginning, he said, uh, my question, one of my questions was, how, you know, how much does it make for you now? And he says, um, varies widely month to month. The last three months were like three grand, two grand, two grand. Um, but the first month, you know, started out kind of slow, but then it just it just grew, you know. And he said what he did, the way he came with the idea is he, he said uh, he just went and found sort of a niche. Let's see he says that, he says, um, He says. I said, how did you come up with the idea? And he says, uh, choose a software category I'm interested in and which allows extension. Find a leader that is not dying with a gigantic user base harder than it sounds. Find out how much, more, much their customers pay them. I found that the high paying customers would pay more than five to six K per transaction with this vendor. Download the software, use it for a while, find the smallest problem with the biggest ramification. This means that People will likely be feeling the pain. Solve the solve this problem and release. Sounds pretty right. Neat. So
0: basically, it's riding the bull technique.
1: Is that what they call that? Well, that's what I call it. It's like you you're
0: right, You're basically riding on someone else, um, mm-hmm. and and looking for the flaws. Right. Um, did he mention anything about marketing?
1: Um. Let's see what I asked about that. Um. Yeah, I said. How did you build traction? Did you use PR, blogosphere affiliates, AdWords, or what? He says. Um, he says I don't think I have any traction yet. Here are my very specific and deliberate steps. Find out where potential users live online and participate in their discussions. Leave my website in leave website in your signature. This means they will always read read it, but accept it as it is not intrusive, announce as often as possible, any new releases to the users and blog relevant topics. He's like, I basically, I can basically guarantee you not one single user of yours will read your blog post, but Google will, and uh, they will send users to your website. It's cool because he's, because he is riding the bull, right? He's,
0: he's already got a brand to hook onto and he can go and seek that out in the forums. That's actually a great strategy when you think about it. Cause if you're doing something just completely blue water, it's going to be much harder to find users talking about it in forums,
1: right? You know, it, 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 it's also that there's that sort of dichotomy between the um, scratch your own itch where it, which is you just find something that you want to solve, yeah. and you figure, okay, I, if you figure you're not too different from the rest of the world, people in the world, at least um, there's going to be enough of them like you. That if you solve a problem that you actually feel pain on, that you probably can have an audience, uh, a customer base there. Like, But the opposite, of course, is that sort of mi- minimal viable product that you don't really know what users want. You go out and find and solve some problem that people want solved and get them out there as quick as possible because you don't really know what's, what needs to be solved. Right. So he's following the second one, which is like go and find something he thinks is a problem and uh, then solve it and then iterate. Um, and he said, you know, I asked him, I said, well, how long did you work on before releasing it, months and total hours? And he said one month in real time, about 50 man hours. He says, I took some time off and was bored. <laughs> <laughs> he, said, he said, I said, did you consider a, minimal viable pro- a minimum viable product? He said, yes, still is. And uh, I said, did you have any kind of beta period? And he says, yes, one month period where I recruited users from the internets. And oh, another thing was interesting, I asked him, I said, did you charge immediately? And he said, yes, I charge during beta period as well as based on some external advice. Payment processing must be tested as well.
0: Yeah, the payment processing definitely must be tested because it's very, very awkward when you have five people who think they've paid for something and they haven't, and you're not getting any money. (laughs) And then you try and approach them and say, "Uh, excuse me. Right. So I think that's, I mean, that's interesting and good and strange all in one sentence, this whole uh, BAMS thing.
1: You know, that would be kind of a funny topic. So I'm um, I'm at the uh, gym. I play basketball, one of the guys that I, I I see every once in a while. And, I, you know, I play basketball so often that I meet tons of these guys over the years, and I'll see them every once in a while. And so one guy says, and I remember him telling me he actually has one of these online web porn business. That's actually his business, right? <laughs> and I said, so I said, so what else business? You know, and I almost forgot what his business was he's like, ah, you know, it's like, uh, you know, porn's always good. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> and he's like, and I'm like, well, is it still growing? He's like, well, not really during a recession. He's like, you know, we're kind of flat now. And he's like, yeah, but I have this idea for, um, you know, for like doing something on, on mobile and, you know, using, uh, you know, iPhones and mobile apps for porn or something. I don't know exactly <laughs> sure what the idea was. And and uh you know he, and he remembered that I wrote software and he's like yeah yeah and he's like maybe you could build something for us and i was like yeah I don't know. <laughs> he's like well what? He's like it's not it's not illegal. It's not it's not unethical. I mean, you know, porn porn reduces, you know, um, you know, sex crimes and it reduces it's proven to reduce um <laughs> People keep people from cheating on their marriage they have an outlet. And I'm like, you know, and he was getting kind of defensive about it. I didn't really say anything. I was just kind of like, yeah, I don't <laughs> that's really what I would want to do. And he's, you know, he's right. It's not illegal. And ethically, you know, it's probably as long as it's between consenting, you know, it's consenting adults who are part of it, I guess, it's fine and who are consuming it. But um it's like it's funny because it's like, yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't want to do that for a living. I wonder <laughs> you know? what you could do with porn on a
0: mobile. I don't know. I guess you could I, hook into the uh, vibrate function. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. Well, anyway, <laughs> I, I think uh, it's just interesting. It's like you talk about things like you know, your businesses that – you know, he like he makes his living like that. He, like, just it just it just makes a, a good living. But I could even if someone says, "Hey, you know," even he said, "Hey, you you know, we'll get this thing up and you'll be making bank in three months, guaranteed." You know, I'll give you peace. I'd be like, "Yeah, I really I couldn't do it." Two hundred grand a year? Yeah, wouldn't do it. I mean, there's another 500 guy. Five hundred grand a year? No, there's another guy. A million who, a year, Jason?
0: Would you do it for a million a year?
1: I wouldn't want to be part of it. I, I I would be want to be a part of something that I would be uncomfortable telling people what I was doing. Right. I think it's just a good sort of gut check like if you would walk into you know a room of people you don't know we say this is what i do would you (laughs) feel comfortable or would you be kind of embarrassed well then you probably shouldn't be doing it for yourself because you know you're not gonna you need to sleep with yourself at night Would you grow a
0: thick skin you know over time
1: you can get used to it i guess but i don't know it's not something that i would i would really want to do
0: but hang on put it this way i mean let's say it was a significant amount of money that put your children through school and made your family happy you wouldn't. Really I'd, have to, able-
1: I'd have to be pretty desperate, probably, right. to be in a situation where I would have to work on something that I'd be really uncomfortable about. You know, I mean, because I, I don't, I'm not in that situation. I have the capacity to support my family and and uh, make a make a good living doing things that don't make me uncomfortable that I don't feel right. uh, I have doubts about. There was there was another guy um, at the <laughs> same basketball gym who that I met who um, he's he's part of that whole like. Um, paparazzi group those guys who chase oh no take photos yeah and he's apparently one of the best so he would tell me he's like all these pictures of like you know the whole chris brown thing where the photos and the
0: you really hang out with (laughs) lowlifes
1: listen (laughs) i go play you know when i go play basketball it's whoever shows up you know i talk to a lot of people okay you know i'm very social i'm always joking around and talking with people and you know, you mean I meet a huge range of people. Some people do really stuff that's really interesting. I have guys who are, you know, you know, surgeons and entrepreneurs, and I meet people who are doing porn websites and, you know, whatever, right? And you uh, know, the guys at the porn website is fine. He's he's a nice guy. He's a cool guy. It's just that's his thing. I you know whatever. I mean, I'm just not not my thing. And I wouldn't want to do it. But the this other guy, so he he is apparently one of these really good photographers and knows how to like stake out all of these celebrities, like where they're going to be and take all these photos and sell them to a ton to the tabloids. And he was just like, hey man, he's like, if you could help me set this up and, you know, you could license the photos because all the tabloids from around the world would license the photos um, for their magazines or newspapers or whatever. And then there'd be like an unpaid part where you just get traffic. And, you know, he was really, really wanting to be, kept working on me to try and help him build something, get something up. And I just was like, you know, just, uh, I just can't do it. You know, just not something I would really want to do, you know? And I didn't get to, I didn't want to get, I don't want to make him feel bad and be too judgmental to him. Cause that's just what he's doing for a living. But I'm sure there's other people who would have no problem doing it, working with him, but it wasn't something I really wanted to spend my time it on. It sounds
0: like you should start a job agency. So you should basically talk, you could go out and play basketball. A couple of times a week, and- talk to people, and then you could basically find other coders to do the work for them and you could take a 20% cut.
1: Well, it's funny you say that because San- <laughs> Sandy's always joking with me because I, a, a large number of my friends I've hooked up with at least one or more jobs over time, or right. you know, and particularly good jobs in, in, in uh, the trading financial industry because that's, that's, I used to be in that world. And you know, I remember when I first met you, you
0: said, you, you, you said My office, that's where it all happens.
1: It's business amazing. Just, business just walks through the door. It does. <laughs> I don't know. All kind of crazy stuff. You just sit in my office for a month or so and something's gonna happen. I'm gonna get a phone call out of the blue and there's gonna be some kind of interesting project or something going on. I don't go anywhere. It's funny. You know, I was out to lunch with um last weekend with um a couple friends of mine. One as Mark who just doing the iPhone app with, and another friend of mine who's um Sort of in the in the trading world as well, and, and he's like, "Yeah, man." He's like, "Your office is like the Bat Cave. There's all these secret projects and stuff going on." <laughs> <laughs> it's like it is like the Bat Cave. It's like all these, you know, it's like a little secret lab. But that's kind of cool, right? It's like because we we have the capacity to just create something out of nothing, and because we have the capacity as software developers to create something out of nothing, make people's ideas a reality, and actually can make them into businesses or whatever, people come to us a lot of the time. Yeah. Right. And uh, that's why when, when I say things happen, is if you get out there and you talk to people um, and you you, you, don't, you don't even have to do it with purpose. Like, I'm going to go try and meet people so that I will network and I will therefore have a big network and do LinkedIn. I don't do that. I just, I just talk to people. ask them what they're doing. I joke around with people. And in an the end, you end up finding out what they're doing. They end up finding what you're doing. And then inevitably, they're like, oh, yeah, I'm trying to do X, Y, and Z. I'm like, you know what? I know someone who might be able to help you with that. Hmm. And usually it ends up being... A good thing right you know you can help out your friends but it's all about just talking getting out of the bat cave and going and talking to people <laughs> which you don't do so often oh i do i get out. i don't go to conferences as much but i uh you know
0: i get do you out. think i should go to this this twitter conference this chirp thing
1: yeah i think you should well because you do want to meet some people right Oh, I'm,
0: i don't mind I'm not pushed one way or another i mean i've got so much on my plate the, prob- the only problem with meeting people is it brings new opportunities, and sometimes you're just overloaded with opportunities.
1: Yeah, which is one of the problems I have. I've, I've said yes to too many things, so I know that's a pro. That's definitely a problem, and you seem to struggle with that too, because you yeah. you you like get onto some new cool idea, and you can't stop thinking about it. And but maybe you don't engage in the new idea, but you, you start it starts seeping. Uh, um, sort of. Um, it starts taking energy away from. you. Yeah, your,
0: it definitely does. Yeah.
1: Sucks the energy out.
0: It's just because it's like, in the, it's like a sub-processor going on in my brain, thinking about it, even while I'm not thinking about it.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, you just kind of have to force yourself sometimes to, you know, I had, I had at one point just said, all right, I'm not going to think about new ideas, like new startup or technology ideas, because every time you think of one, it gets you excited, and you start researching and coming up with names. It's like, forget it. I'm not doing that anymore. Just gonna Every time I start thinking about doing that, I just don't even do it. Ooh, talking because about names,
0: what are we going to call our show?
1: oh well, yeah it's funny so i i, I brought that up with Sandy, So the whole startups startups and aliens you know and I, I i said i thought it might be more funny would be startups versus aliens and kind of like the alien versus predator right movie thing and, oh good like so what so were you the startup and i'm the alien uh, no no i was like startups versus aliens
0: yeah exactly you versus me no
1: <laughs> no it's not no, <laughs> no meaning i just but I just thought it was funny and it just didn't make any sense because, right. it was, because it didn't make any sense. That made it kind of funny and be kind of thing was of sticking, people's, sticking people's mind. Though, startups versus aliens. What the hell does that mean? <laughs> right? It doesn't mean anything. I it's think
0: startups start- and aliens is better.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know. Anyway, the, um, well, I think startups versus aliens is funny. And what, did,
0: what did Sandy say? She just looked at me like I was an idiot. Does she, like, she think startups <laughs> and aliens is okay?
1: No, she thought it was stupid. She was just like, if you name it that, I'm changing the locks. Because is... G thinks that's really good. She's like, that is so nerdy. I can't even. She's like, there's only a limit. <laughs> there's a limit. There's a nerd limit, and that just redlined, I guess, from her perspective. But
0: we want to <laughs> grow this thing, right? Yeah, sure. It's going to be easier to grow with a brandable name. Look, yeah, which which is which is the biggest one that you've heard of? net rocks. Mm-hmm. What could be a more brandable name than that? And you're saying, you love that name? I'm saying that startups and aliens is just as good as .net rocks, whereas texting. Uh, was your you loved
1: the name? You thought of it. <laughs> I just proposed. It was the first thing that popped out of my mouth because you said I, we need a name that's zingy, and I said I don't know Tech Zing. and you're like yes. Georgie loves it too. <laughs> I'm like all right. <laughs> oh, I mean that was sort of the condensed version of what happened, obviously.
0: <laughs> Maybe we're just gonna stick with that freaking name.
1: I, hey, so, um, I, you know, there, uh, we got a, uh, an email from, um, these guys from Founders Cast. Oh yeah. And, uh, uh, it was Dan, is that his, Dan? Is his name, Dan? Yeah. Doug. Sorry. Yeah. I'm um, sorry. Doug Martin. Uh, Doug Martin is one of the hosts of FounderCast.com, and they have a, they have like a podcast that's kind of somewhat ours, talk tech and startup stuff and, uh, so, um, I was like, man, that's a good name. Foundercast? Yeah. I like that. <laughs> 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 Piece a crap out of texting <laughs> I'm like, how'd you get that name? Why have they
0: got such a good name? What? Why have they got such a good name and we've got such a crap one?
1: Because they thought about it. They spent some time thinking about it. Oh, God. Or we God. just grabbed onto something. We're going to be debating it. We're going to be in episode 500 and we'll be talking about it. Yeah. I, I also think that
0: by episode 500, we're going to hate each other's guts. That's fine
1: at least we'll at least we'll, it'll be like it'll be like um, the show lost which is it eventually is going to end and it's you're, all will be revealed and it'll be revealed that we actually hate each other I don't think all
0: will be revealed with lost I think it will be it'll be like that show the prisoner it's never going to make any sense
1: <laughs> Like what was this island again <laughs> yeah it's it's never going to make sense I don't understand that black smoke thing well, <laughs> yeah yeah I don't know I I still I like it though Although um, I think a lot of people are getting frustrated with, with the lack of answers. So did you? I, I had to listen to that
0: that episode of FounderCast where they were talking about us, and they're yeah. talking about um, the interview with um, who was it? Uh, Central Desktop, and they called us TechStars. Right. Maybe TechStars it would be a good name for us.
1: Except that's a uh, incubator like Y Combinator. Oh, okay. Well, I'm going to go to the gym and go see if I can go talk to some more uh, purveyors of porn. (laughs) Well, I think that is a good uh, time to close the show. Yep. All right. That's a wrap.
0: Problem with that is I've got a piece of acoustic foam pressed against my face. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so it's your face that's uh, <laughs> causing the echo. You have an echo face. Yeah.